If you're ready to confront your destiny, if this is the moment that you've been praying for, tune in and listen to your cosmic cheerleader, Commander Lady Athena, for cosmic pep talks, for closet Christ. The show is the voice of the Ashtar Command. The call is for you to step forward into your greatness. Be listening on Wednesday. We have an appointment with destiny. Greetings in the love of the Supreme Spirit. I'm Commander Lady Athena, and you're listening to the voice of the Ashtar Command. Cosmic pep talks for Closet Christ. This evening, our seminar topic is living with miracles. <laughs> living with miracles. I think we'd all like to do that, huh? So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath together and blow out all the clutter in the mind and the emotions and the physical body. Just let it all go. Let it all just melt away back into the nothingness, except that which is supremely peaceful and whole and joyous and loving and full of life. That's how we're meant to be all the time, full of life. So, miracles are normal. Expect them. Orson Miracles says, Miracles are natural. When they don't occur, something is wrong. (laughs) So we could define a miracle by... That which suspends all of the limitations that we could imagine through love. It's like love is the fulfilling of everything that came before it. You could say that living in miracles is living in grace rather than through the school of hard knocks. Or karma. (laughs) Different way to say it. So let's go within here. Let's take another deep breath. And just present yourself as an open receiver of what could be a really different way of experiencing your life. Truly. I tell you truly, through direct experience, nothing is impossible. Everything, without exception, is possible with God. So we're going to chant the hue three times to clear the mind and begin to harmonize all the levels of our being and present ourselves clearly and openly to the divine miracle working power that infuses every cell of our being every part of our mind and brain. We are hardwired for miracles. To experience them, to be them, and to work them. We are emanations of a miracle-working divine source. And as such, we are by nature designed to be miracle workers. So we're going to chant Hugh. Let's take a deep breath. Hugh. Yeah. 
And just feel that divine energy begin to rock your body. Sometimes you'll feel goosebumps all over the top of your head, the side of your head, down your back. Sometimes it feels like warm honey is just been poured over your crown chakra. Or that your chakra on the crown of your head is undulating like a sea anemone, like seagrass. You feeling that? That's the activations of the petals and the thousand petal lotus atop your head. And you have higher levels of lotuses also that commutate and step down the divine multidimensionally into your brain and into your nervous system and through your expression. So what if you were standing before one who had all power, all power, unlimited, unconditional, who could literally give you anything at all. Well, (laughs) I personally have been in the physical presence of one with just that power. It was the full and is the full avatar, Sri Satya Sai Baba, with whom I have interacted for not only this lifetime, over 45 years, but in my previous incarnation when he was the great Muslim saint, Shirdi Sai Baba, in northern India. Satya Sai Baba was born in southern India. And I can't possibly talk about miracles without my direct experience of what it's like to live with a person, if you can call a full avatar a person, because actually an avatar means the direct descent of the supreme divine principle manifesting through a human appearing form. But that's where anything that looks normal stops. (laughs) So to launch into this topic, let me preface it with the four ways basically people come to God. Number one, they'll come when they're sick and desperate. They're desperate. They have no place else to go. (laughs) Ah, And they come to God. So God will heal them or maybe mitigate the symptoms so they're not quite so sick or lessen the severity of the time they have to go through, whatever it is, or relieve their hardship in some way. And then usually they're done with God. They don't think about God again until uh, (laughs) another big crisis. And then the second kind of person comes when they're impoverished and or needy. They want a mate. They want to get married. They want a better job. They want some material something or other that's going to somehow make their lives better and and happier in a material sense. And so God gives them a job or a maid or children, whatever it is they want. And then they too often leave and don't think of God again until they want a bigger house, a better job, more kids, whatever. Then there's the third category of those who are seeking spiritual knowledge, guidance, want to know who they are, why they're here, what it's all about. And then there's the fourth kind, who would be the yanis, the yogis, the mystics, the ripened fruit on the tree of life, who are ready for final liberation. And they are given that, liberation itself. But Sai Baba has come 
to give every single one what they want, whatever they want, until they want only what he has come to give, liberation itself. Now, when I say Sai Baba, I'm not just talking about the orange-figured robe with the bushy hair that we're all familiar with, the big afro. Sai Baba is the embodiment of every name and form of God that mankind has ever worshipped since the beginning of time. So no matter what you call the divine principle or the beloved, or the one even that you love the most in your family or whatever, when you come to Sai Baba, you will see that beloved one in Sai Baba. Very interesting. I saw him as Jesus. He absolutely transformed into Jesus. His hair had a golden tint. His eyes would turn that deep sea blue. Well, he just became Jesus to me. But I have also seen him transform into Lord Ganesha, you know, the elephant-headed remover of obstacles, represents that divine power. I have seen him transform as, as Rama, as Krishna. And, oddly enough, this is going to be seeming rather strange, I've seen him transform into myself. That particular manifestation is called in Sanskrit Swarupya, Sarupya, when you take on the essence, semblance of your chosen divine. We, we hear in the Bible, put on the Christ. That's kind of what it means. You become like your master. You become like the one you love. You become of the same essence, not the same physical looking body. The essence and the real meaning of Baba, B-A-B-A, is being, awareness, Bliss, Atma. So we're all Baba. Satya means true or truth. So that's who we are. We're all embodiments of Satya, truth. We're all being awareness, bliss, Atma, Baba. So don't think I'm talking about a guru, a separate anything outside and different and apart from you and me. I'm talking about our own perfected divinity objectified. And that's the job of a full avatar. Sai Baba is a full avatar. So what if he were standing before him? He has this uncanny habit of looking you right in the eyes and asking you, what do you want? You know, he's like a few feet from your face, looking in your eyes, saying, what do you want? (laughs) I was about a foot away from his face, looking up into his eyes. And uh, I was saying inside my mind, I want to merge with you. And I felt him jolt at that moment because he was going to grant me that wish because it was coming from a very, very deep place within my soul. When my husband piped up and asked if I was pregnant and going to have a child. (laughs) Now, I believe Sai Baba made my husband ask that question. For the simple reason that he saw I still had a desire. I had a desire for a child, which he did, in fact, give me. 
But if he had given me liberation at that time, being a young woman, I would have had perhaps this samskara, this this undertow of desire for something that could only be fulfilled on the physical uh, dimension in a physical body. You see what I'm saying? So he caused my husband to cause that interruption because the sincere, the sincerity of my request would have been honored. You see. But it was for the higher good for me to live, go on to live a very long and um, useful life. So I'm just saying, when you stand in the presence of God, which every single one of you is every second, okay? Imagine in front of you, right in front of you, God is standing there, almighty God in whatever form you want to visualize. And God is to your right, and God is to your left, and God is above you, and God is behind you. And you are actually inside God. You're an idea of love within the mind of God. You're a, you're, you're a manifestation of God's desire to extend love throughout all of creation. That's who you really are. You're not even separate. There is nothing about you that's separate from God. Like the ray of the sun is identical to the sun. Like a wave of the ocean is identical to the ocean. Like that is your relationship with God. And so there's no separate person. That's the fiction. That's the that's the mental image that we have to jettison and replace with the awareness that we are absolutely inseparable, indistinguishable from God. Now, to realize that and quicken that and empower that until it becomes your living reality, uh, you know, it takes a little work because we've been programmed and taught by people, by and large, who do not have direct experience. We have been taught in religions by people, basically, who have been teaching from a book. But in very, very few cases, has a person really experienced directly God. And if they had, it's, it's, it's probably unlikely you're going to find them in an, organiza- uh, an organized religion because generally they're controlled by a board that dictates to them what they can say and what they can't say. So you see, people who awaken want to be free because they've come to set you free. So they stay free themselves. Just saying. (laughs) So you're standing before one who has the power to give you anything you want, anything. Do you know what you really want? If you were standing directly face to face with Satya Sai Baba, What would you ask when he's looking at you and he's saying, what do you want? I'll bet you anything, you do not know what you want. You don't know what's in your best interests. You don't really know what's going to truly make you happy and fulfill you. Oh, you think you know, but you don't really But we all absolutely know what we don't want. So most think they want something that will improve their lives, make them happy, better off materially. I call them the three M requests. Me, money, mate. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But... Everything you ask for, whatever it is, if it's of this world, 
It's going to have a limited stay in your life. Health, a mate, children, home, property, career, job advancement, money, name, fame, power, wealth, adventure, travel. All of that will have a season and a time and will depart. Because none of that is going to follow you beyond this world and this life. Now, I know that. Because in my life, I have been given all of these things. Some of them many times over. And I've come to a place where I truly don't have anything, anything, anything at all in this world that I desire. I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. There's just nothing there anymore. Except I like to be. <laughs> I just like to be. But it took me the longest time to feel whole enough in myself to want to not want or need a mate. I think that was the longest thing uh, that it took me to outgrow the need for was spiritual companionship. You know, a mate that you could have coffee with in the morning and talk about your dreams and, you know, share the spiritual life. But you know what? You really can't share the real, deep spiritual life. Because that's like the inner closet into the sacred, sacred place that you can only share with God. And even that, you can't even speak sometimes. You're so full. So I'm sharing that because there does come a time when we come to the end of everything the world has to offer. And uh, we're full and we're ready then to receive what Sai Baba has come to give us, namely, liberation itself. So what we believe with all our heart, with unwavering faith, is absolutely 100% certain to manifest. Now, note, I said with all your heart, without wavering faith. I think I was six when I was sitting looking outside the window at our garage that had a dirt floor in Monrovia, California. And I somehow got it into my mind, I don't know where I got it because nobody thought like this in my family, that I wanted a horse and I wanted to see it in the garage because I figured with a dirt floor, you know, I could put some hay down, the horse could live there. And I set myself to visualize that horse. Every day I would sit and visualize the horse standing in the garage again and again and again and again. I gave myself a week of doing that. At the end of the week, I was disappointed because there was no horse in the garage. And I didn't know why that was so because I knew that I had the power to manifest the horse. <laughs> but you know what happened? My mom rented a horse, a flea-bitten mare by the name of Annabelle, that was brought and tethered in the garage exactly where I was visualizing. And I rode that horse, Annabelle, in the Norvia Day Parade. So there actually was the manifestation of that thought that I had. There was a little time lapse between the week and Annabelle actually being rented for me and brought and tethered in our garage. But I'm just saying. So you have to remember that faith is not a wimpy thing. Faith is actually the congealing of the energetic matrix itself into substantial form. You have to have faith to activate the the atomic gathering together to manifest into physical, tangible reality. And 
Therefore, faith is the evidence, the very proof that the unseen things exist. You get that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So, we are not ever where we think we are physically. We are where we are in our mind. Very often, Sai Baba would say to us, your body's here in Prashanti Nilayam, in the uh, ashram, but your mind is in California. <laughs> and that was true. <laughs> it was a large part of the time. You know, you go crazy when you go to an ashram where you're eating food that's like so hot, it makes your eyes water and your nose run. Um, or everything is so unfamiliar, so uncomfortable, so stark, so grueling that you would give your kingdom for a glass of cold milk or a nice fresh green salad that we take so for granted here in California or, you know, stupid stuff like a pumpkin pie <laughs> or for me it was a piece of chocolate. I mean, you can't imagine how goofy you become uh, after, you know, a few months or weeks in in a uh, ashram, at least like it was when I first visited in 1972. I mean, today it's it's gorgeous. I mean, it's totally different today. But when I came, it was like the toughest camp out that you could have on the planet. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. When all of our levels, I mean all of them, physical, emotional, mental, imaginative, spiritual, when all of them are lined up in congruency, in complete agreement, manifestation is instantaneous. And that's where Sai Baba is. Everything he thinks of manifests instantly. And that's how it is with some of the other masters and uh, um, very advanced yogis. But the difference is this. Sai Baba said that my miracles cause wonder to you, but to me, they're just my nature. It is my nature to want to bring you joy and make you happy. It's an expression of my love. Now, yogis and masters who have done certain yogic practices, they have attained what's called siddhis or yogic powers. That's different. That has been created through personal, physical effort and discipline out of the biophysical energies of that person. Sai Baba, his miracles are the natural expression of his divine nature. Big difference. So, of our own, we have certain biophysical energies, and we can be trained, you know, to learn to do certain city things that, that come actually with, with spiritual development. You find you develop certain powers as part of unfolding. The problem is many, many people get misled by that, or they begin to commercialize them and begin to corrupt the gifts, and then they become... Um, detriments to the path. So a real spiritual guru will never encourage you to develop powers, ever. Because they, Sai Baba calls them like prostitutes. They're things that we run after that are not good for us, that are not appropriate, that are not dharmic. And they leave us away, they lead us away from fidelity to, to God, to the purity of the divine. So anyway, um, some of the most amazing things I saw in the ashram, you know, when you're with Sai Baba or a great master, you forget how miraculous your life is and how much you take for granted. I mean, I don't even know how to explain 
what it feels like, what it's like inside me, for example, uh, to live with the expectation of miracles all the time, to to take them for granted because you have seen them and experienced them and been part of a world that these things happen all the time to where <laughs> that's your world, that's your reality, that's what's real for you. And you don't realize for the majority of people on the planet, this is just, you know, insane. They think you're nuts. So there's a whole nother dimension of life that you enter into when you, when you're with people who are familiar with the manifestation of what we could call the charismatic gifts, the flow of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous things that happen. That's part of like an inner circle life that you enter when you really, really are consecrated to living in God and with the miraculous. So, some of the most amazing things that happened rather regularly with Sai Baba is that he had the power to, he has the power over Time and space. There was a family, a Muslim family, that came with their son to Sai Baba. And the son was terribly disappointed because his brothers had gone to Mecca to participate in the Hajj, which is, it's obligatory for every Muslim to at least make one pilgrimage in their life to Mecca. And so he was, he was very disgruntled and he was sitting very sad, you know, in the interview room and Sai Baba looked at him and said, you really wanted to go with your brothers to the Hajj, didn't you? And, uh, he said, yes. So listen what happened. Sai Baba waved his hand in the interview room and sent the boy through this opening. And he was in Mecca with his brothers at the Hajj. He opened in his interview room with a wave of his hand a portal. And the boy walked through and he was in Mecca with his two brothers participating in the Hajj. Now, the parents are in the interview room, right? They have an hour interview, the end of the hour, Baba waves his hand, and the boy walks back through the portal into the interview room. He's carrying bags of souvenirs. Baba asked how he enjoyed the Hajj. The boy, experientially, during that hour, had spent two weeks with his brothers. And when they came home, the brothers verified that he had been with them. Now, explain that, will you? Explain that. So I was, I was talking to Sai Baba today, and I was thinking, wow, where would I go if he had done that for me? And I thought, you know, it's really weird. I have practiced being here and now for so long. There isn't any other place I really would want to be other than here and now. I mean, that sounds bizarre, right? But I tried to think, where would I be? Where would I be? Where would I be? And it's like nothing showed up. So it's kind of strange, you know, in one way, to be in a place where you feel everything is present right here and right now. And still having a desire to be someplace else doing something else. Now this is another point. You are always exactly in the reality that you believe in the most. Now, I have a complete total conviction that I live and move and have my being right inside God right now. I'm inside God. Like God's a big head and I'm inside like rolling around like a marble. <laughs> I tell you the truth. That's my reality. 
I feel all the masters, angels, teachers, guides, every dimension, every plane, everyone, right here, right here, right here in this place where I'm sitting right now. Everything is around me. It's a vibration. I can tap into it if I want. All I have to do is move my attention that I'm surrounded with beings who love me, who look out for me, who care for me, that I love in turn, look out for and care for as well. But they're here. They're right now. They're not off somewhere in the sky or another dimension or another place. Do you catch my drift? That's my reality. And that's why I don't have any need to go anyplace else because it's all here and now. Now, I don't know where it goes from here. I'm just sharing you with you my direct experience. I'm not trying to say it's good or bad or, or, or anything because I don't know. Only God knows. But I'm telling you that's my own experience of being here and now and full up and content and happy. And it's not because of anything I have in my outer life. It's an inner state that we all have access to. It just depends on what you want to have real and make real for yourself. It's all about belief. Belief is what causes anything to be in your life because you believe it's there, you expect it to be there, you look for it to be there, whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent. And so it's there. So, Sai Baba has done this opening a portal beyond time, space, and location a number of times. I spoke to an Indian family who had lost a beloved uh, father, grandfather, some something. I think it must have been the grandfather, because I believe it was the son that was speaking to me, older son. He said that they had been grieving so terribly, so Sai Baba, um, they basically were asking Sai Baba to bring him back, right? Because Sai Baba has raised several people from the dead, some who had been dead as long as four days. One of them, by the way, a very close friend of mine. But uh, actually two of them who were friends of mine. But anyway, the man said that in the interview room, Sai Baba again opened the portal and the man stepped out of heaven where he was in the divine realms and uh, and told the family that he was very, very happy. He didn't want to come back. <laughs> and Sai Baba said, do you really want to, uh, to to disturb him? Look how happy he is. But they were able to have closure. They were able to be convinced that, yes, life goes on. Their their uh, grandfather was happy. Everything was fine. They had no reason to grieve. Grief is like, you know, being selfish. We should instead rejoice when our loved ones graduate. I know we miss the body, but just speaking truthfully, we weep and they rejoice because they're out of the the pain and difficulties of the physical form. So let's look at what blocks miracles. Number one, a wavering, unsteady mind. We give up too quickly. You know, we'll do an affirmation or maybe a visualization, and then, you know, we give up. We're, We're wimpy. We don't sustain steady focus and faith and conviction. We're in and out. We vacillate. We go into doubt and, 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 you know, all of that stuff. Cynicism is another thing that blocks. Cynicism is the fear of being disappointed. It's, back, it's basically fear. So you become jaded and cynical and uh, you have like a bitterness. And uh, also unforgiveness or envy or resentment. All of these things will block you. Basically, these all indicate a closed heart and egotism. But... You know, they rob you of joy and the miraculous, which is everywhere around. So we need to endure to the end. We need to sustain our conviction and our faith in a steadfast, ongoing, relentless way. Hold on, you know, like a bulldog, 
and don't let go. It's going to take the divine will and perfect timing for it to manifest into your life. And you have to be ready to receive it and benefit by it. So another thing is we don't really believe God knows what's best for us. (laughs) We think we know better. Ho, ho, ho. And uh, we don't really believe that God has our best interests, our highest good in mind. We always kind of think we can like hedge our bet or bargain or, you know, uh, get in there and kind of make it go into our favor. But, oh boy, do we block ourselves when we do that. The thing is, we don't really get God. We don't really understand the divine nature because we have been poorly taught, again, by people who lack direct experience and are only quoting things that they have read or studied or learned in theological seminaries. Uh, people of that category really, they need to not pretend like they know when they don't. They need to be honest. But Sai Baba told us that those who have had direct divine experience and realization, it is their dharma, their duty, to share their direct, from their direct experience. And, you know, their experience keeps expanding and, and going deeper and deeper and deeper, so nobody has the full thing. But if we speak from what we have personally experienced, then that's important. And that's why I talk so much about Sai Baba, because that's what I've experienced. I've had extraordinary grace uh in 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 what he has awakened within me and allowed me to experience and see. And it's not because I'm special in any way whatsoever, because I'm not, I'm just like everybody else. But since I was a little child I have lived by two biblical statements that have been the bedrock of my whole life. The first is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all things else will be added unto you. I have prioritized God my whole life since I was five or even younger. The second thing is, the second scripture is, all things work themselves together for good in the life of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So if you love God and are doing your very best to fulfill your calling, you can claim that scripture because all things in your life are working themselves together for your good. And the first one, if you are seeking first, first, first in priority, God and God's kingdom and righteousness, in other words, living a dharmic life, following the divine universal principles, doing the very best you know how, and placing God first, first, first in your life, then everything else follows. Yogananda said, all things can wait. But my search for God cannot wait. So everything else can wait. Because when you move into divine realization, everything is there for you. Literally, heavens open and blessings pour forth such that you can't even imagine you are so flooded with anything and everything that would increase your happiness. But the funny thing is, at that point, you don't need your happiness completed because it is complete in the Beloved. When you... I mean, we have a taste of this when we fall in love with a human being. For as long as that lasts, which isn't terribly long, everything revolves around that loved one. 
everything has a rosy glow. You fall in love with the world. Everything looks perfect and beautiful. But that's the way it is all the time when you have conjugal union with the beloved, with the divine. And you have merged. Your human self has literally melted like an ice cube in the blazing sun of the beloved's presence. To where you can't tell one from the other, they've become one. And that doesn't leave. That state has been referred to as Sahaja Samadhi. It's when the heart center, the spiritual heart center, is permanently open and you fall in love with life. And, oddly enough, you fall in love with yourself. Not your ego self. You fall in love with the divine essence. I like to say you become so delicious that you want to roll in yourself like a cat in catnip. You want to savor the bliss of being in your own presence. But you don't think of it as your own presence. You think of it as immersion in the beloved. You're like seeping, marinating, soaking in Ananda, in Amritam, the nectar of immortality. In fact, you immortalize your whole being. I was reading the other day, or actually I was listening to David Wilcock. He was speaking about the rainbow light body that uh, 160,000 yogis have attained. I think most of them being Tibetan. And it's the rainbow light body, or the Jalus as it's called. And it comes about naturally if you can go 13 years without a single negative thought. Your body transfigures into pure light energy and it spontaneously, what could we say, dissolves, combusts, whatever. Combustion isn't the right word. It becomes consumed to where all that's left is a tiny, tiny little shrinken uh, form or a bit of That white powder they found in the Great Pyramid, it has a lot of iridium, or it is iridium. It's the distillation of the ultimate dissolution of the physical form in an initiate that has gone through the rainbow body transformation, which they used the Great Pyramid for. It's not a burial chamber. It was a, the tomb was for the initiatory rites. You either died in that process, which many of us did. (laughs) That's why we're claustrophobic today. Or you were able to attain the rainbow light body, which is called something else, I forget what, in Egyptian. But anyway, just saying, when your whole body becomes filled with light, filled with light, like Jesus said, You manifest as the light, and you transcend death. You just don't die. There's nothing to die. Because the only thing that can corrupt is that which has been admixed with the egoic mind. When you have dissolved that egoic mind in divine effulgent awareness, there's only light. There's only effulgence left. And that's really what happens. When you bypass death entirely and go into what's called the rainbow body. And uh, David, you really need to listen. I think it's the second in the, the three series that he's just been sharing. Oh my gosh, it was good. Wonderful, wonderful what he was sharing. But um, when this man, they were describing this yogi that had attained this um, rainbow light body, they said when he, he was in the hut and he was doing this process, 
There were rainbows shooting out all from around the hut. And then it's like he just vanished in a, in a, a flash of light. I heard about one of these yogis when I was on my last trip to India. And uh, I didn't get the name of the yogi, but there was one in India that had recently gone through that. And his body became, you know, like a, a pure white flame. Um, we, we have them on Venus, actually. In ancient Atlantis, they were called the Moxon Flame. And uh, there is a very, very high level of trance, uh, of death. Well, we don't call it death. Um, I forget what we do call it, actually. But it's like a, a transfiguration ceremony in which a person, when they want to change their form, since at the highest levels we don't have death, they can step into this Moxon Flame and be transfigured into a new form. Whatever they would hold as their expectation, visualization, they could transfer into. They could basically reinvent themselves. So that's pretty heavy stuff, I guess, I'm sharing with you. But <laughs> it's real. I'm talking about a level of life that so transcends anything that we've been conditioned to believe here is to be just miraculous. Another thing I wanted to share with you that happened to me that was, I just figured out what, what really happened. All these years later, finally I realized, oh my gosh, that's what he what he did to me. I was stranded in Singapore on my way to India. And during that time, I went through a very powerful uh, bliss, incredible bliss experience while I was in the hotel. Um, just wave after wave after wave of this almost unbearable ecstasy was rolling through my body. And I was all alone. I couldn't find any Sai Baba devotees. I couldn't connect with anyone. I was completely isolated. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of Singapore because all the, flight, the, the flights were booked. And somebody had foolishly told me, oh, you don't need a visa. Just wait. You know, when you get to India, no problem. You can, you can get your visa. Well, big problem. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. But during that time, Sai Baba said, you're going to die. And, you know, this absolutely does not freak me out at all because I know there's no such thing. And I have 100% trust and conviction. And whatever Sai Baba says, that it's, that's a good thing. That's fine. I accept it. No problem. So I said, okay, Swami, but at least let me have your darshan before I die. I, but, you know, let me get to India, see you, and then I'll go. Okay? So anyway, long story short, I get the, a seat in the plane next to the head of the Singapore Sai Baba group organization. And Baba said to save a seat because he was going to send a devotee that would occupy that seat. The only seat on the only plane that I could have gotten on. Otherwise, I would have been stranded for two or more months in Singapore. So you see how that was a miracle in itself. Anyway, on the way to the ashram, in private cars, there were two of us for our group of people, um, the car took a, a, a turn too sharp. It skidded on the gravel and turned over. And, you know, when you're in a car accident, everything goes into slow motion. Very slow motion. I looked down and there was a, a drop of about 15 feet to steel pylons in a construction site that was just over the edge of that uh, highway. There was a young Indian girl sitting next to me in the back seat of the uh, car. She started to fly across the seat out of the open door that had been torn off the car. And I picked her up, and all the time I was saying, in just absolute bliss, Bhagavan Sri Satya Sai Baba. I was in ecstasy. I was praising God with all I was worth. The next thing I knew, it was like the car just, like some hand had come under it and just put it back on the road. Where in slow motion it, you know, skidded back and forth across the highway and came to a stop. The people in the car following us ran forward. They said, 
Sairam, Sairam, oh my God, oh my God. Miracle happened, a miracle happened. Sai Baba put the car back on the street, um, back on the road. You, you guys were, o- were almost over, you know, falling over the side of the cliff. And everybody was like shocked. I was in bliss. I'm telling everyone, you see how great is our God. See how great is Sai Baba. I'm just like out of it, totally crazed, right? Just totally zonked out in bliss. We get to the ashram. It was a major festival, birthday, I think it was. Bob Bazzani, who was the head of the Satya Sai organization, was standing at the accommodation building. He took one look at me. And I didn't even have to go sign in for accommodations. He just said, put her in the roundhouse. Well, I was coming to the ashram at short notice. I I thought, well, if I could have like a, you know, a place to camp out on the ground somewhere, I'd be glad to do that. Anything to be in the ashram for this, this birthday. But no, they put me into the round building, which had originally been constructed for the queen and her um, entourage. And I was put into a room all by myself. But I went into the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror. I was as white. I swear to God. I was as white as a sheet. And the only sensation I had was a little tiny bit of a bump of, of, of heat at the crown of my chakra. Later on, I figured out that what Sai Baba had done, I had gone into a conscious yogi's departure from the body, which is called Maha Samadhi, when the soul, the yogi, extracts by a will, conscious will, the life force from the body and exits through the crown chakra. Now, Sai Baba, that was my death. Okay, Sai Baba literally <clears throat> put me through Maha Samadhi and then put me back into the body in a new incarnation. Trying to make sense out of any of this, right? I'm talking miracles here. And that's why I have had a different, a new incarnation without having to die. I mean, I died, but Baba put me back inside. Kind of like the opposite of being a walk-in, um, <laughs> where the same soul was put back in the body. But when I went to have the Brigu reading, the 5,000-year-old um, reading that's done for certain individuals, of which I was one, where the sage Brigu had prophesied the person's life from beginning to end, I was supposed to have died, you know, over a decade ago. That was my natural time to have left my body. And I didn't. And I always wondered, you know, you know, what was that all about? Because I know everything happens, you know, when they you read the Brigu, I have the Brigu reading, everything in my life has taken place that said it said it, that would happen. Uh, except I didn't die when it said I would die. So that explains it, because Sai Baba gave me a new life in this life without my having to die. So what do you do when you're in front of a person, by his own admission, says, I can turn the sky into earth, and the earth into sky? And he holds out his hands, and he said, and he said to us, you see these hands? All power is in these hands. Swami can give you anything you want. What do you want? And of course, in in that moment, you, you know, your mind is blank. You can't think of a thing. So, living in that level of life, where you see daily miracles that are so normal, you don't even think of them as being miracles. 
you know, in the ashram, when I went there, they didn't have that large a kitchen. They had, I think, three large, you know, huge vessels, but and but not enough to cook food for all the people that came. And I remember somebody said that they had asked the cooks, you know, uh, how 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 do you prepare food for all of these hundreds and thousands of people in these three vessels? And they said, oh, there's no problem. We cover the vessels with one cloth. We say, Wom Sairam, and food will be there. Food will be there until all are finished, all are fed. <clears throat> and uh, that's just the way it was. Om Sairam was everything. <laughs> it was it was what made the food manifest again and again and again and again and and there was never an end of it. It's the food that manifests breakfast, lunch, dinner and tiffin, which is like afternoon tea and snacks, for the forty monks that live in a remote Himalayan cave. And they have a Akshaya Patra. They have a pot with unending, never-failing multiplication of food. Whatever foodstuffs they need, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and tiffin will be there out of the Akshaya Patra through Sai Baba's grace. How do you explain these things? How 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 normal it is for some of us to live in that realm and how abnormal it is to be with people that think you're crazy and don't have a clue that literally everything is possible with God and only our disbelief blocks that. So expect miracles. Look for them. Have the faith to be confident that God will never fail. Everything else in life is very doubtful. God will never disappoint and fail you. But you have to trust his timing. And God never just does one thing. God waits until there's a whole bunch of different things that, like, you know, collapsing dominoes, all all gets handled with one one swoop. So know that if you have asked out of a pure heart, you will receive. You know, so Jesus said that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you, he will do it. So we have to be careful what we ask for. Don't ask for a, you know, a carton of Twinkies when you've got the whole supermarket chain in front of you. Ask big and be sure that you ask for what is eternal and not fleeting. Because this opportunity of being aware of divine incarnation, being a contemporary at the time of a divine incarnation, Baba says this time will not come again. Who knows, you know, where we would land in another lifetime. And we have Prima Sai Baba in a little boy's body now growing up. So you are with Sai Baba's next incarnation. And the avatars never die. Their body may disappear. And usually does. But they are not their body. They are omnipresent. And omniscient. And they know everything about you. Without exception. And love you unconditionally because you're actually their incarnation. You are actually an incarnation of that supreme Atma that they are the full-blown manifestation of into time-space. So living with the miraculous, 
Oh, what a life. What a life. So I invite you. Come join me in a world of unlimited miracles, wonders, and bliss. I hope this has been helpful. And uh, I just send divine love to each and every one of you and all life forms throughout all of existence with all my heart. God be willing, I will be with you next week. Namaste.